Bless the Lord this morning. If you're going to follow along, turn to John, St. John chapter 9. I'm going to have him play a little song this morning. We're going to play it low, so everybody please stay quiet because I don't want to interrupt the other classes. I normally don't like to do any music in here after they're there because they can't hear nothing. <laughs> We're in a very small place, so I've asked him to keep it kind of low, but I'm sure most of you have heard this song, but I want you to just kind of pay attention to the words, and um, and we had a it kind of spins off of Wednesday night's discussion with the teens, so go ahead. A controversial question over that song was, is it a happy song or is it a sad song? I think, I don't think I know. I've lived here long enough to tell you. That song is all of our lives. At some, one reason that that touches you is because there's somewhere in that song that you find yourself. And we constantly have the question, why? We're told we're not supposed to. We know we're not supposed to. We try to act in faith as much as possible, but I can see better ways for some things to happen than what God does, but why? Why did I have to go through this divorce? Why did I have to go through my child making these decisions and 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 in my and why did I have to endure these financial struggles? After all, he has a cattle on a thousand hill. What's a few, you know, hundred of that just for me? <laughs> Well, I'm being serious. So, and we're plagued with something that has been plagued since the beginning. Since Adam and Eve walked out of that garden. Why? Uh, last Sunday's lesson, I'm sure that Eve looked at Adam and said, why? And Adam looked at Eve and said, why? Why did these children have to do this? I know that we committed sin and we can't go back to the garden. But they didn't have to kill each other. Out of all the things they could have done with their anger, with all of this, they didn't have to take it out on each other. I mean, you, you see all those things. So why, Lord, why? The disciples were no different in chapter 9, starting at verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath the man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had spoken... He sped on the ground, made clay of the spit, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. 
So the disciples weren't no different. They were like me and you. There's got to be an explanation for this guy being born blind. God's intent from the beginning was not any of us to be born with ailments, but yet it happens. We would like to think that some things are new, deformities and birth defects. Those have been around for a long, long time. Of course, in our society, we have less probably than most societies because we have more, we have a healthier way of living. I mean, we are one of the few countries that have a really good board of health. And I know we get sick of them always doing something, and maybe they, they in some areas they probably go farther than what they should. But with even saying that, we often wondered, why me? You know, I mean, or why them? Uh, they don't deserve that. You know, I know a young lady that used to go to church with us that struggled hard to get her life together, ended up marrying a minister, and you'd have thought life would have been great and grand, and and then she was born with a child who had a long list of birth defects beyond anything, you know, and it doesn't seem fair. Here she was. She had all these other children outside of marriage, outside of what God has asked for us to do. All of a sudden, she commits her life to Christ, gets married, doing all these things the way that God wants her to do. Then this happens. That doesn't seem right, does it? It doesn't add up quantitatively in our minds. The disciples were no different. That's what they wanted. They wanted that explanation. This morning, there were seven. I'm probably, I probably will only get through about three, but I'm really only going to do about six of examples and reasons why to the best of our human capability that we can grasp why bad things happen to good people i guess <laughs> that could be the title of the message why do bad things happen to good people start off by saying that faithfulness does not guarantee freedom from trouble pain or suffering turn to chapter uh, acts chapter 28 verse uh, 16 and it reads and when we came to Rome the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him now Paul at this point arrives in Rome this is towards the end of the book of Acts, towards the end of what we really know about what Paul did. We don't really have much, at least in this book, in the Bible, of what happened to him after he got to Rome and presented himself. Now, a lot of times in life, we're given commissions by God. And he says, I want you to pastor, or I want you to do, I want you to take care of this kid I want you to help this family I want you to do this I want you to do that and we get these great commissions we don't really understand what that means you see 
Paul's dealing with something that he was prophesied over. You're going to go to Rome and speak. And in some of the books, we're going to get in detail later on this on one of them, but he, he had even expressed in some of his other letters, I can't wait till after I get done at Spain that I can come and visit you in Rome. So he received it. Well, yeah, I want to do this thing. But he had no idea that to do this, he was going to be um, shipwrecked. He was going to be beaten. He was going to suffer persecution at the hands of his own people that he loved and cherished, that he was trying to bring a great gospel to that they didn't want. That when he did get to Rome, that he wasn't going to walk in there and have this great message and everybody was going to give their lives to Christ and the whole providence of Rome was going to bow before the Lord uh, just like in the times of Jonah and sackcloth and ashes and everybody was going to be blessed. The Holy Spirit was going to be everywhere and everybody was going to love everybody. And I'm sure he had this great vision like this in his mind that he thought, I'm going to Rome. That's, going, that's an important thing. I mean, you got to understand that the, at this time, Rome was the greatest empire in the world, and he was going to the capital to preach the good news. That's just like you getting ready to go to Washington, D.C. And, and, uh, and, and preach the good news to the whole nation at the White House. <laughs> I'm sure he had that. I'm going to get to maybe see the emperor and, and all this. So... He, through this, you could see how over time he probably even developed great ideas about what he may or may not do when he gets to Rome. But I don't know that he ever thought that when he got to Rome, he was going to be all chained up when he got there. They, uh, well, it was prophesied that he was going to be, kind of, it was prophesied that he was going to be tied up, but that was all the way back in Jerusalem um, if he chose to go. But I don't even think at that point, I think at that point he would have thought that when I showed up to Rome, because we like to think that when we get to the end of our journey here, that when we get to the end that it's glorified in our minds and towards us. We kind of start to get that, that self in there where we think it's towards us. I believe that he would have thought that by that time he got to Rome because, I mean, come on, you think about all the people he preached to on the way. You think about when he was in prison. They didn't know what to do with him. I mean, um, they were hoping they would get some money out of him, but nobody ever showed up with any money. He preached to all those people in chains, and he would have thought by the end of his journey that he was going to be walk on there on dry land. You can see how he could and not be chained. I mean, even after you got, you got to think about this. If it wasn't for him and his prophetic abilities, they wouldn't have been saved at the shipwreck and they would have all died. And definitely the prisoners are going to die because they was killing them first before they got off of there. So you would think that that in itself would have <laughs> come on, man. If it wasn't for me and, my pro and the prophecy that God gave me, you wouldn't even be alive. And you still have me chained up? So you could see how his thought process, and it's just like us. 
A lot of times you're going to end up where God wants you and you're still going to be chained and have things in your life going on that you can't control, but you're still going to do what God has commissioned you to do. He arrives in chains. And of course, if we back up, and I'm going to not make you turn to every one of these scriptures, but you're more than welcome to write them down. In Romans 15, 23 to 29, that's where you find where Paul expressed his desire to go to Rome. And in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, you find that it was the will of God for him to go to Rome. And Paul's not alone. Think about Joseph and his mess. I mean, come on, beat up and then thrown into slavery by your brothers. And he was sent to a place he didn't know their language. He had to learn a whole new language. He had to accept ideas and thoughts that weren't accepted in where he came from, maybe. Whole new culture. And still, through that, maintain his relationship with God. David, I've oftentimes talked about him. How unfair is that? He was already, he was in the palace at one time. Come on, playing the harp and winning battles. And somehow finds himself out alone. And, and thinking, yeah, and thinking, how in the world is this all going to work out? It was not easy for him to walk back in and be king. There was a lot of things that had to happen. We read it in a few verses. There's a lot of things that had to happen for that to go on. That was out of his control. But that was part of it. He knew that God had done it. And there was many others in the Bible. So let's talk about the first reason of suffer. And this has a, this is a couple part lesson. We'll talk because I did, I had a hard time with this part of it because it kind of got depressing. The next part of the lesson we'll talk about God's relationship to the suffering believer. And that's where it gets interesting. And then the victory over personal suffering and how we obtain that. So we got to go through this start part, I guess, to get there. It was kind of an emotional lesson. It was up and down. I felt good about it, then I didn't feel so good about it. <laughs> the first reason, one of the reasons that we have suffering is because of Genesis with the garden. Because of man's inability not to sin. He fell to sin. Deceived by the deceiver. We can say that and make ourselves feel a little better. But at any rate, remember that Adam was never deceived. Adam committed the sin knowingly, willingly, and abruptly. At least Eve says she could say she was deceived. Death. Things you won't escape because of it. Sickness, disease. Those are things that come on us because of that so sometimes the suffering is just because of the fall of man because we're inside of a whirlwind of sin 
were dumped into it from birth. Born into sin, shaped in iniquity by your mother's womb. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 So what do we do about that? There's not too much you can do about what Adam and Eve chose to do. And you look at your own life. What did you choose to do? I'm sure that all of us can remember a time that whenever our mother came in and said, What are you doing? Nothing. It wasn't me, Mommy, I swear. We all find ourselves at one point in time in our life where we fell into that and were sucked in. So we must cast ourselves upon his grace every day of our lives. That's the only real solution for that. Lord, forgive me for this. And it's constant. We're sucked in so easily sometimes. Sometimes we're sucked in over time. However it happens, the only thing that battles that is accepting his grace and his mercy. The second thing is consequences of your choices. We like to cushion it sometimes in some of the ministry. Sometimes we cushion it for you and, and, and you can feel a little better, but the reality is, is our choices create consequences. If I walk out of the word and I get too far, I promise you it'll have consequences. And with my position, it has consequences greater than me. You all are attached to that too. And you will hear about it. It will happen. If I walk down the street and I lie, cheat, and steal, it will come back. Galatians chapter 6. We can turn there real quick. I like that verse. How do we avoid these decisions that we make? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, let's, you got to put that together with the next verse. For he that soweth to the flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth unto the Spirit, shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Sometimes the Spirit wants you to forgive people you don't want to forgive. Sometimes the Spirit, the spirit wants you to go tell somebody that you're sorry when you may not feel so sorry. Is your pride probably getting in the way? Things like that. You may even be completely right. You may not. Think about Job. That's how I got started on this. How do I read a lot of Job? I ain't into reading a lot of Job. Job's a hard book to read. That's, that's a lot of poetic <laughs> <-ness>. <laughs> that book. It seems like it takes a long time to get to a point. I'm just like, get to what you're trying to get to. <laughs> Job, first his friends came and just sat with him for a while. And they just should have kept sitting. It probably would have done him more good than them opening up their mouths. Because they went through the same things that we're talking about. Job, you must have done something really bad to deserve this. You just ain't had something that's normal to life. But this is something beyond that. I mean, come on, you just didn't lose half your cattle. 
You lost your kids, your cattle, and and all your money, and the only thing you have left is your wife, and she's done looked at you and said, just curse God and die and get out of my life. <laughs> the one thing that was left is the one thing that, well, that's what she said. <laughs> it's in there. You read it. <laughs> he wasn't getting no confidence from her. So then his buddies come along, and his buddies don't do much good neither. <laughs> you got to be doing something bad for all this to happen. <laughs> So, but back to this reason. Sometimes it is what you sow. And if you go out here and you, and you start sowing things, I'm going to tell you, those that are interested in the ministry as well, whether you're in the ministry or not, but I could tell you this. If you sow things that are outside of the Word of God and they are outside of His will, Those things can come around to bite you later. Even when, even after you've turned from them, years, you'll still have to deal with some of those. I can't take this out of there. Now, God will forgive you. God will look at you and not see that anymore. But people will not. They'll remember. Even when they forgive you, they still remember. They're, they're not as good. We're not as good as God. I haven't met a man yet that was so good that he could go, he could cast it from the east to the west and not even remember it. <laughs> Amen. And I can't change the world is what the world is, okay? That's one thing that's not going to happen. I don't care how much you read this word, and I don't care how much you pray. This world isn't going to change. It's going to do what it's going to do. The only change that you can make is the change that happens inside of you. That's it. This is the only thing you can change. I can't change you. I can preach to the blue in the face, and it will not change you. But if you would receive it, and you work on changing yourself... It will change. Amen. That's how it changes. Your perspective can change. Your view can change. And that's part of what we're talking about, you know, we're going to get into with this lesson is that how you view things. How Paul said to look upon those things which are good, those things which are holy, those things which are true. Sometimes it's just what you sow. So better watch what we sow. We try to sow to the Spirit. As much as possible. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Against such things there is no law. Amen? I believe that's the book of Ephesians. Number three. We suffer. This is a little higher level, I guess. But we suffer internally in the inner man because we live in a sinful world. Just because of what we see, of the unrighteousness, the unholiness. You see things that happen in your own neighborhood, how they treat people, and grieve in our own souls 
because we know that there's a better way. There's a better way to treat people. There's a better way to talk to people. There's a better way to get people to come to holiness, to come to the truth. We, we've experienced it even with people that would dare to call themselves Christians that would beat people into Christianity. Well, that, that has nothing to do with being Christians. But we see the unjust in the world. What can you do with this? We can pray for the release of people held captive. That's where this comes from because of that grievousness that's inside of us. When we see our sons, our daughters especially, involved in things, doing things that they shouldn't be doing and things that are hurting them, you can't do nothing about it. You would like to. But this is the one thing you can do is you can take down the strongholds around them. You do have that power. Now, ultimately, we don't like this part, but that choice is going to be theirs. And I've heard prayer in the church before. I have went to them many times, and they have not received me because you've asked for them for him to go. You've asked for him to tear down these walls. And it gives them time and space. So we must pray for the release of the people held captive by sin, must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So once they're freed from sin, they know how to be completely free. Once they're held, we take the captive, we take those, those demonics that we have power and authority over and they're gone. But they need to get the power of God in them and know Jesus Christ is their Savior so they can escape sin, hell, death, and the grave themselves. Amen. That's what really needs to happen. And in order for that to happen, we pray for them. That's why we come in here and we do prayer requests. So that's another reason why the righteous suffer. I told you, it gets kind of gloomy here and there, doesn't it? <laughs> Suffering at the hands of the enemy of our soul. Satan and his imps and all the demonics that are loose. And I always think about there's a scripture, and I probably should have found it for this lesson, but it's just now coming to my mind, that there was a king that was getting ready to make a decision on whether or not to go to war. And one of the spirits that's there with God says, I will go. And the Lord says, how will you go? He says, I will go as a lying spirit. So some of these spiritual things, we don't understand it all. I don't know that our minds could conceive it all, even if it was presented to us. I think it's beyond our, our comprehension. Sometimes the enemy is allowed to come upon your life. It was allowed to come upon Job. That was another incident that we see an evil spirit allowed to come out. And you say, what kind of a God would do that? I can't answer all those questions. 
I could tell you the end of this, which is what I really want to get to, about Jesus and what he had to say about it, because that's the important part. But I could tell you that it's also written that he goes forth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's in Peter. We know that he's allowed to be, he's spoken of as the principality of the sea and the air, the ruler of this world. We know that he is allowed to be here, that he has been given authority of some sort to be able to tempt us. And so this is a real thing that we go against. Sometimes I think that we think it's that, and it's sometimes it's just us. But there are temptations. There are things that Lucifer is allowed to touch and do. And we see that as an example. Job is probably the biggest example he, that we get a straight out. He was allowed to touch his body. He was allowed to touch everything around him. He was allowed to do everything except for take his life. We have to be aware that that is sometimes the reason. I think more often than not, it's not, but, but it is sometimes the reason. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, you find that he is the ruler of this age. Um, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, that was the scripture that I quoted. He goes forth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And even out of Jesus' mouth himself, 13, 11 through 16, Luke, in chap- Luke chapter 13, 11 through 16, we find about a woman that had been bound for 18 years by a devil so it does happen there are some incidences that it is the enemy that has caused blindness that has caused somebody's mental illness or whatever it happens and we have to be fortified spiritually to know when it's that because sometimes it's not that Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to turn there. I know we went a little late with praise and worship. What do we do with the enemy of our soul? Okay, because you can't see him with your eyes most of the time. I mean, unless you are given some sort of discernment. We don't hear him audibly as we do each other. So it's very difficult for us to get ahead of this as a carnal human being. But Ephesians chapter 6, we did a whole lesson over this. That's something we ought to do again sometime. It was fun. Verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he goes to tell us how. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So now he's going to tell us, because the devil is going to come against you. All kinds of devils are going to come against you. They are going to tempt you and talk to you and taunt you as long as the Lord has allowed them. Now, they leave you sometimes, too. Say, how do you know that? Well, remember Jesus, when after he was tempted, it said the devil left him for a season. He had beat the devil up so bad that he left him for three months. And would not even come around him. So sometimes we beat the devil up bad enough he doesn't come around for a while. Well, that's whenever you walk through the doors and 
Praise and worship just kicks in and everybody's all on it and all that. Well, because you've went through a battle and you've done kicked the devil out the freaking door and he's gone for a season because he knows he can't do nothing to you right now and he's gave up for a little bit, amen? Until he gets back out there and he gets enough lying devils around him to convince him again that they can all come back and try to do something again. Amen. And they come back around again. And then what do we do? We call upon the name of the Lord. We give ourselves to God. Amen. We resist that devil. And he has to get out of our doors, get out of our lives, get out of our children, get out of our hospitals. He has to get out of our state, our country, our army, our military. He has to walk out of all of it because we have the authority by the name of Jesus, by God himself, that manifested himself in the flesh and died for us, rose on the third day, received in the glory. He said, whatever thou speaketh of my name, I shall honor that. Amen. And that devil has to get out for a season. Praise God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual weakness in high places. So there is spiritual weakness and wickedness in high places. <laughs> And there is spiritual wickedness all around us. It's always been there, guys. This was wrote over 2,000 years ago, okay? Don't think that what's going on out in California is new, amen? Don't think that what they started out there and what just keeps moving this away, amen? Don't think that that was new and don't think it's always just been there. It's been right here underneath our feet in Indiana. Do you realize if you look up in history how many times that this country had to go through revival after revival after revival. Because here's what would happen, is that as we would get out going a little more west, we would get away from the preachers. We would get away from the Word of God. Our ancestors did. You can read this. You start reading some history. And what did it take? It would take revival. That's how Witten came over here and started a revival that produced Gosh, I don't know how many ministers that pushed out through the land, that got over into the Indiana Territory. That's how we got established our, our schools, Princeton and Yale and, and all of those were all done because we needed revival throughout the land because people get wicked. I'm going to tell you something. You take the Word of God out of people and you take that spiritual growth out of people, you will get wicked and you'll do things you can't even think about right now. Amen. That's just the way we are. So it's been many times throughout our history that we've needed that revival through this land. So don't think it's strange that we forget. The country tries to forget. It did before. But what does the Word say? That whatever the devil does... The Holy Ghost brings up a standard against it. That's why the revival comes right after it, amen. Go back in your history, you know, and you started seeing as things rose up in the 70s, all kinds of things, free loving and everything else. But why don't you look at some of the ministers that were packing out stadiums, stadiums, packing out fields. He said that one minister I was reading about the other day had over 20,000 people in the middle of a field before there was ever a stadium in this land. Out in the field preaching over 20,000 people at one time. Amen. So don't think that it's something new. It's going to happen again. But we're going to be here as spiritual leaders of the communities. Amen. To lead people back to salvation. Back to holy living. Amen. 
glory to God, and back to their Savior that they could be saved, amen, that they could walk that street of gold also, amen. Praise God. Go over the next two briefly here. I know we're running out of time. Number six. And this one is a rough one, but sometimes we endure suffering as a catalyst to bring forth spiritual growth. And we don't like it. And I always told the Lord, I think that sometimes there's better ways than me going through and suffering through something for you to teach me something. Sometimes there isn't, I guess. I don't know. I, <clears throat> definitely a conversation I'll probably have with him when I get there. You know, we could have done that a little easier. I've seen an easier way. <laughs> That's right. James chapter 1, 2, and 3 Sometimes we have this for the trying of our faith, to grow in our faith. We've all been through things, and some things I don't want to go through again. Amen? I'm sure my wife can testify to that as well. <laughs> some things we don't want to go through again, do we? <laughs> We've been through. And I see the looks on other people's faces, too. There's things you don't want to go through. During these times, we get to release our impurities and acquire a closer level to God. And we're always going through the refinery's fire. We like it. I can say it like that. It don't sound as bad. But when I say we're going to use this bad experience as a catalyst, it's going to bring out something in you you might have not even known was inside there, and you're going to have to deal with that as you go through this. And I don't like going through that. I think, Lord, if you just made it all happy for me, then I wouldn't have to worry about this part of me, would I? I wouldn't have to deal with that part. I wouldn't have to deal with my imperfections. And I could just go through life. But that isn't the way it works. You look at how meek David was by the time he got to kinghood. When you read, you start reading between the lines. There was, some would say he was a bad father, but I think that he had a hard time knowing his shortcomings and looking in them and just hoping that they would repent more than, boy, you need to straighten this up. And some of it caused him some problems. But I look, when I see David, I kind of read between those lines of how he wanted them, because he did. He, he went through some things that wasn't fun, lonely times, made some wrong choices. And I think that sometimes we allow that to affect our movement and our decision. But right's still right and wrong's still wrong. We do have to remember that. And you repented, I hope. <laughs> and I don't think that David ever really got... I repented. I need to walk in there and tell my kid he shouldn't be doing this. And it caused them a lot of problems. But that was one of the things that David had to go through. He went through. So sometimes the things we go through are just catalysts to make us stronger, to make us think differently, to make us 
I know, you know, as we get older, you remember when Jesus was standing there in front of that woman that got caught in adultery. Who left first? The older people. Because <laughs> they had experienced life a little more. Maybe I'm just not as perfect as I thought I was. <laughs> as we go through these things, we learn. So sometimes that's the reason for your suffering. It's not always the reason for your suffering, but sometimes it could be. And finally, number seven, sufferings of the righteous to further the kingdom. This is the most out there thing that we can't understand, we can't put our finger on. Tell me how Christ's sufferings were necessary. Tell me how Joseph, to further the kingdom, why did he have to get abused by his brothers, in prison, lied on, and everything to save his people? Does that make sense? Don't make no sense to me as a, as a human being. So sometimes, some things you're going to go through, and I don't like it when the Lord tells me this part. I really don't because at that point you can't ask why because you, he can't, you, you can't conceive why. And that's hard on all of us. One of the hardest sufferings is for the kingdom. It's easy for us to say, well, I would die for the kingdom. You could almost, some of us could stand before those darts in front of somebody and not deny Christ and take death. I believe all of you could do it because the power of the Holy Ghost would do it for you because that's what happened with the apostles. Sometimes that's easier than the other things that we got to go through for the kingdom. Amen. All of our major people that we talk about in the Bible went through that. Joseph, David, Christ. Throughout history, men have given their lives. And they do in this state. In this, even here. And here it's different. Because in China, you're fighting the sword. And a lot of this, we see that, fighting the sword. Now, Paul fought the sword politically. And that's what we do now. Is we're, we're more political movement. It's more of, I'm going to stand for this, and I'm not going to fluctuate, you know. I know that all of you are partaking in this after-hours party after work, and you all are going to go down to the club and watch and do whatever, but I'm not going to partake in that. Well, and, and that makes a statement. I know that all of you are down on the boss, and yeah, he ain't the greatest boss in the world, but sitting around and talking about him every day is just going to make my job more miserable than what it does. <laughs> hey, just everybody knows there's no perfect boss and there's no perfect job for you every day. There's always something. There's something in that that 
you're going to struggle with somewhere and, and something's going to happen. That's just so doing things for his glory that he honors in your life. Those decisions, big decisions, small decisions. Someday you may be called to the capital. You don't know. Maybe someday you have to stand in and say, no, I believe the Lord thy God has been the one that's protected this nation. That's who we're going to pray to. And by the way, that's the commandments that's still in the justice building. And you go read all the writings on the Congress building from one end to the other, and the Word of God is still there, standing. So praise God. Well, that should be the end of the darkness, and hopefully we'll get into more lightness on the next one. Praise God. <laughs>